Welcome to the Designing Hollywood Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Meyer Burnett. The Designing Hollywood Podcast is dedicated to all things movies, the movie industry, and its talented professionals. And our guest today, I gotta say, the projects he's worked on, I, I can't wait to talk to him. He's one of the film industry's premier makeup artists with a career spanning over 30 years. Over the course of his rise to the top, Donald Moat has earned two BAFTA nominations for Nocturnal Animals and Blade Runner 2049, as well as five Saturn nominations and one win for Prisoners. His resume includes credits on films like Three Kings, The Departed, The Fighter, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Skyfall, Nightcrawler, Sicario, Spectre, First Man, and Spider-Man Far From Home. He's also been the personal makeup artist on films for Mark Wahlberg, Daniel Craig, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Ryan Gosling. An incredibly impressive body of work. Next up for Moat is Dune and the upcoming Marvel Cinematic Universe TV series Moon Knight that I've wanted to see, oh, I don't know, most of my life. So please give a warm welcome, clap at home, for Mr. Donald Moat. Donald, thank you so much for coming on to the Designing Hollywood podcast. It is such an honor to talk to you, sir. What a, well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for such a, nice, a really lovely introduction and everybody there, Marilyn, everybody who, who orchestrated this. Thank you for that. It's very kind of you. Oh, are you kidding? I mean, it's my honor to speak with you. And I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about on this show about makeup and I've I've always said that as a producer and people working in the industry, I always joke that the two, actually the three most important hires on any movie, the first most important person is the caterer. <laughs> but the second two people are, are your hair and makeup team. Yeah, and, and, yeah. I, and I think the reason for that is, obviously, when you have world-renowned celebrities, actors, actresses working on a film... They need to know part of their 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 toolbox before they mm -hmm. get in front of the camera is to know that they look exactly how they want to look as they step out to inhabit the characters that they're inhabiting, which means that the you have to have makeup and hair people, especially makeup people that are known and trusted by the actors because you have an intimate relationship with right. the people that you're working with. And I mean, you're literally working on people's faces <laughs> and I'm curious, how did you begin your career uh, as a makeup artist? You know, it's, it's really interesting because sometimes when I think back, I mean, now that I'm getting to this point where I I'm talking about being of a certain age in the industry, going, you pass 30, this 30 year mark and think, what what is it what really what have i learned over the 30 plus 35 years actually and i start to really underestimate things and go wow you know there was a like what you said i mean there's certain things that the caterers obviously transport like right when i look back on the big things we've sort of given the wrong prizes to the wrong people for <laughs> the better part of 50 years but Everyone sort of goes, yeah we, yeah, we understand. But what I've learned about the business is essentially how much it's changed, not always for the good, um, how the business fragmented so much, how, you know, we used to work much more as a unit, uh, a costume, makeup, hair, in that order, 
sort of order of, of I don't even want to say precedence or importance, but I mean, you take your lead from the costume designer who takes their lead from the production designer. You know, it was a way we worked that was really, uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way, when I started, I think the hierarchy of the industry was, was clearer, mm. if that makes sense. And I knew what I was there for, but a lot of other people didn't know what I was there for. I mean, the actors always knew and the designers knew but like people on the crew were like hair and makeup, hair and makeup. Like, what are they? They called us the vanities or the beauty, you know, it was sort of derogatory and it was sort of slightly like a necessary evil. And I think also as a man, you spend a lot of your earlier uh, as a younger man going, well, people don't really respect it. You know, there's a kind, I think you fight for a lot of respect as a man in the industry. I mean, it's my hashtag moment maybe, and people will be upset to say it, but there is a moment in the film industry where certain departments get better treatment. Mm. And I guess what I'm, I'm really trying to get at is as a makeup artist, um, you really had to earn it. You had to really know what you were doing and be yes. able to convey a confidence and let an actor know, I'm not just some guy who puts eyeliner on. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a serious filmmaker, just like the DP, yep. just like the sound mixer. And I think that that has made me a little bit, not bitter, but a little bit like, come on, look at what we actually do. The work is on the screen. You're in, as you say, a proximity of the actor, whether it's a world famous superstar or somebody who's been in community theater, you're working in, in this personal space with no other department is working in that intimacy in the eye, the close contact eye to eye. Um, you have to know what you're doing. Yes. And you have to convey confidence towards the actor and the director that I'm not, cause I've witnessed it. I've been part of it where people think, Oh God, makeup. And you think actually it's kind of important. And people start to see it when they recognize that you are good at what you do and the other people like the actor or the director or the costume designer go, wait a second, we need to talk about the makeup. It's a very important part of this film. And I think for that, I'm always thankful, but also I wished we talked more about it years ago that people didn't have to be kind of annoying. Like, look at me, look what I do uh, in order to be noticed or, or respected in an industry that was not always good to behind the scenes talent. Well, I think one of the things that, people forget like for the, for those who've never been on sets and i'm sure a lot of people who listen to this haven't been you know before every shot on a film you have makeup and hair people uh doing last looks i mean for every shot and uh, an actor's face is their canvas and that's what they're conveying and you know for everybody you need makeup and and a consistency in the way somebody looks is incredibly important and when you're shooting yeah. a 12 hour day you know the a person has to look if you're shooting say uh, if it's one scene or if it's one area or if it's one set they have to look the same in every shot and you might do 50 setups or 60 setups yeah. in a day and every every piece of coverage has to look the same and mm -hmm. this is something that is incredibly important and I'm also a film editor and I I've had to cut around in my low-budget career when makeup mm -hmm. isn't consistent. So, and when you, you're working, like you said, in close quarters, you're literally working on the faces of people that are going to be writ large on the big screen 40 feet high. 
And if that yeah. makeup, if you don't know exactly what you're doing with color, mm-hmm. with foundation, you know, a makeup artist can, can ruin a shot. And the relationship you have with yeah. an actor and a director of photography and understanding how light and shadow works on someone's face. I mean, this is vital. This is yeah. vital for the, for, the, for the look of the film and it's vital for the actor, isn't it? Well, it is. I'm, I'm so glad. Well, because you've got a background in filmmaking as an editor, as, you know, special effects makeup. Yes. And a, but a lot of people don't. And I think that's where I think in educating people now, new people coming into the industry, you know, we what I've noticed is more and more people have fractured and separated into their own uh, kind of niche uh, field where I do this, you do mm. that. And they don't really think of the overall picture. But I really think it's for my crew, I really instill the belief that we're all working together. If the costume is this and the makeup is that and the hair is this, it's cohesive at work. Sometimes you take one thing. You can't I don't think you always have to have a makeup costume and hair element. I think you might need one or two or sure. costume and makeup or costume and hair. I rarely think it's makeup, costume and hair. Um, but having said that, I think a lot of the newer people, as you, you know, I've got some great new up and coming people who do get it. They're filmmakers. Mm. I think that the consistency, I'm so glad you brought it up. Continuity in makeup is one of the hardest things to maintain. If you're on a film for six months or three months and it takes place over two nights, you got to make them look the same. It's really hard in a person's life when you look at someone over the course of four months, whether they've had a cold, a fever, a cold sore, a pimple. Uh, lost weight, gained weight, it's very hard to maintain that. We just learn how to do it. But I think the audience will often forget, like these people are doing, very few people have that precision in what they do. A focus puller certainly does. Mm. But almost no one else does in terms of precision and in terms of your mind working um, at a level that I'm able to observe. I don't look at, have to look at a picture the way people think we do it because you sort of know when you're doing it on the person's face. I can tell when they look a bit different, they're a bit puffy or tired or how to maintain beard, which is really a huge thing in films. People don't ever think twice about how you actually maintain that. Um, so glad you brought it up as far as continuity is everything in a film. And it's oh. why there's a script supervisor to make sure. Yeah. And I, th- I think something else that, um, is 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 not to be uh forgotten you were there in the transition from film to digital capture and the yes. way the way people looked uh quote unquote on video let's call it digital capture now because it's not it's not just video but that was a change as well the 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 kind how thick makeup needed to be on faces and and that was a whole transitional uh point for the industry and mm-hmm. and was that a difficult transition to make for you i mean you you had 25 years experience working on films before digital capture technology mm-hmm. became the norm did you have to sort of relearn what you had learned over the decades you know when people started talking about hd which was digital i mean every, yeah. that whole thing there was a kind of a um I don't, I don't want to say a paranoia. Uh, there was something, there was this this frenzy of information that came as we were transitioning into the world of digital. Um, 
yes, we all worried, we panicked. But what somebody said to me later was there was a, a brand of makeup we used to love to use. It's not around anymore, unfortunately, called Visiora, which was designed by a French cameraman, a cinematographer. Mm. Visiora, made by Christian Dior. It was the greatest makeup that ever existed. I don't care who's listening. No <laughs> one made a better foundation makeup. <laughs> And the reason it was so good is it was made expressly for the film industry, for cinema, by a cinematographer. Right. It had every element. It was, it was the right numbers anyway. But what I learned was when everybody went kind of a little bit, a little bit hysterical and there was a, this thing of HD, my first job, really HD digital, was with David Fincher on The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Well... Can you imagine that transition when you think, oh, my God, here we go. And I'd finished a film with Daniel Craig in, in New Mexico. Um, and then here I was working digital on, on Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. And I realized also as a makeup artist, as a designer, you suddenly are falling victim to all these people. It was a bit like COVID. All these things people were saying, listening, going, wait a second. I just do good makeup. Let's just do good makeup. <laughs> appropriate for the character how about that and as i met david fincher the first time i was a little bit defensive thinking he is mr techno he's the guy everyone says david fincher is the most technically savvy director producer in hollywood and that's probably true maybe next to chris nolan and he's wonderful and i met him and i thought oh my god he's gonna put me through it I don't like reds. I don't like this. And I'm doing a makeup test with Daniel Craig. And I did the makeup and I just went, you know what? I, I know how to do this. And I did what I had to do. And the character has an evolution and he gets beat up and strangled and all these things happen. And I just did. And David just looked at me and he said, so Donald, are you going to track all this beard? Like, is that going to be a problem? What do you think? No, it's not a problem. I'll figure it out. What about this? What about the cut? What about... No problem. And I said, you know, I was a little bit HD and he goes digital. And I thought, okay, digital. He's right. Why am I saying HD like a fool? Learn what the new technology is. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Working with David Fincher and Daniel Craig and Rini Mara on The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. HD, digital. Not so bad. Uh, and then Roger Deakins really introduced me to it on Skyfall, where I've, I love it now. And I'm, in fact... I don't know if I need to go back to 35 millimeter film. Right. I, don't I mean, know. there's not a lot of people that are. Well, that you know, that brings up, uh, I, since you brought up uh, directors of photography, do you consult uh, with directors of photography before you begin? Because obviously working working on, uh, you, you've worked on some films, Roger Deakins, obviously, a couple of times. And he won. You you were there when you you worked on the project where he finally won that Oscar, that long overdue Oscar for Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which he should have won for Skyfall too. But you know, um, uh, is there? Do you consult with them? Because like you said, that great foundation was actually made by a cinematographer. So what is your relationship with the DP? Well, I think it should be. I wish more people would or felt comfortable. It goes both ways. The makeup artist, the HOD, the designer, and the cinematographer. It's a two-way street. I think that there has to be a mutual somehow working together. Uh, it used to be that way, and then we lost it for a while. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, when I met Roger, so long story short, Roger Deakins is why I work with Denis Villeneuve. Mm. 
because Rob introduced me to Denis uh, after Skyfall when they were looking for a makeup HOD for prisoners. So that's Roger. Uh, Roger's doing. Um, on Skyfall, we had some challenges with makeup for Daniel. They were doing something. We wanted to do something different. Uh, the Bond franchise had never really made Bond look quite so exhausted and, and put through. And it was very scary for me and quite frightening challenge for both Daniel and myself. And Roger was fantastic because he's the real deal. He's a cinematographer extraordinaire. We were going to make this character more, I don't know, somehow more based in reality than they've ever seen. And that's what I love. And, and so I guess, Emily Blunt called me not that long ago and said, you know, Donald, nobody's better at making somebody look terrible than you. And I took it as the greatest compliment um, coming from Emily Blunt, who's a great beauty of our time and our industry. And I, I, I embraced it because I thought I really, I really helped Daniel work on that film where we could see this vulnerable side to bond and then of course he turns up in the navy blue tom ford tuxedo Janie tamin's in richard's work and he comes up in that boat and he looks back to bond you know with the the you know the tan and a can kind of thing <laughs> after being all scruffy and blue and i was very proud of it because i thought that's a moment people always talk about and i was very proud to work with daniel who's so lovely and sam mendez and roger who lit it and, and roger basically lets you do what you need to do. And so, yes, I do collaborate and I try. And I'm very sad when I hear people tell me that the directors of photography are not interested in, in makeup or what they're doing. And, and I think that saddens me as far as what the business has become if people can't work with each other. No, I mean, the, the whole, what I've loved about filmmaking is it, to me, it's the great art form. It's the great collaborative art form and, and everybody everybody's it's the one place where you, you get first of all the best people in the world <laughs> coming together for the most part yeah, uh yeah. doing incredible work and and i think obviously when you don't have that harmonious uh sort of synergistic relationship on a set it, it's not good for anyone because i think the like you said the real filmmakers that understand they know a director of photography needs to rely on his makeup people to know i mean the way the way the way someone's face is lit uh, is really important. And that becomes part of the entire, uh, I don't know, the look of a movie. You know, like mm -hmm. you said, you have to make James Bond in Skyfall look tired. Well, that mm -hmm. becomes part of a DP's job, the makeup people's job, the costume, everybody. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is what this is what shows up on screen. And to have that relationship, I think one of the interesting things about this podcast, the Designing Hollywood podcast, is truly the design elements in a film. You've got the art department, you've got makeup, you've got costumes, and you've got the director of photography, and then, of course, the director as well, creating something that is supposed to work together. So every single shot in a film tells you what you need to know about the story that's being told. Like you said, you're all filmmakers. You're just working in different aspects yeah. of of the yes. art, and and I what I what I was going to ask you too. What I find fascinating because I've never heard the answer to this. You have worked with a lot of the same actors. Obviously, you have great relationships with the people you've worked with. Whether it's mm -hmm. Daniel Craig, whether it's Jake Gyllenhaal or Ryan Gosling, you know how how does that begin? Like when you meet mm -hmm. an actor for the first time, 
where does that conversation about the character, where does that begin for you? And how do you develop that rapport with an actor where they begin to trust you and then you can you can both work together to create the character? Well, I think everybody is fundamentally different. We all are. And I think every actor is different, although some people think they're all the same. They're not really. I mean, on a certain level, we all are the same in, in, in the sense of how we work in the industry. But I find a lot of actors... Um, I don't pay too much credence or too much attention to anything I hear prior. Right. Because every department has a different experience and we usually get them, the actors a little bit later. So costume have the first fittings, et cetera, et cetera. They have a different relationship. It's, it's personal, but impersonal. It's all about the character. There's very little. And the intimacy is different. It's at a close, it's not as close range. So the person might be feeling a little freer. It might be different. Um, a lot of body and things can come up and that's already established. So I feel like by the time we meet, which is shortly after the, the whole co- and I always like to go meet the costume designer and I take my lead from them. I mean, they are, they are setting the overall look and there's no mistake in my mind of who comes first. I mean, it is a business of hierarchy and I think it's, it's important. And if I see the costume as one direction, I kind of get a sense right away. I know not to make it too makeup-y. It's, it's the costume's done enough. When I get the actor, I usually, I kind of get a feeling right away. If it's an actor who's a little jumpy or unsure, they'll tell me, I, I, you know, Donald, I don't know what, what to do here. What do you think? And quite often people will let me say what I think, what I'm thinking. But I never presume, ever, never, ever, ever have I ever presumed and given somebody an idea or a thought and said, this is what I think you should be doing. Right. I want to hear what they think, and this is what I suggest. And I think that's been the secret to being able to work with people numerous times. A lot of actors feel they're not listened to and not heard. And I'm very conscious of that. Uh, because I felt that in my life, as we all have. If you feel, well, why aren't they listening to me? I want my makeup, or what do you think of my hair? And I, I do think a lot of actors are looking for a certain type of honesty, and and that's very hard to come by in, in our industry sometimes. What, where someone th- will say, well... Why do you think that is, though? I mean, I, I've always sort of believed that that the more open people are with one another, especially on a set when everybody knows what's going on, because actors do want open and openness and honesty. They want a relationship. They want to be able to build their character with somebody yeah. and have it guided, or don't they? I, I do. I think in in principle we do, but we're all a bit. It's like saying to your best friend, "Do I look fat in this shirt?" Right. I mean. We all do it, and we all don't really want the answer because sometimes the answer is not good. Sure. We've all been, you know, do I look fat in this? Is my hair okay? Should I shave to go to that meeting? Um, Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes an idea is not good. Not that it's not a good idea. Some people will put you through, and they'll be like, no, but I want to try. I mean, Jared Leto, I love using him as an example. I love Jared. I mean, he's put me through. He, He put me through it on Blade Runner. I tell everybody. And I love Jared for it because I really said to him, I think this is a mistake if we do this. I think we need to try this. And Denis let me kind of lead 
how we do it. Mm. And he meets the actors before anybody. And he'll say, my, my guy who's running the makeup and the prosthetics and the hair, and he knows what he's doing. Listen to him. And that coming from Denis Villeneuve or from Roger or somebody, but especially from the director, it happened on Sicario, you know, where he said, let him work it out a little bit. Sometimes people need that to hear that about you. And then they go, actually, I guess that's why he likes this guy. And some people need a little bit of leadership and maybe a little bit of, I don't want to say a dad or a mom, but I think sometimes people need to let you do what you know how to do. Mm. And the business has lost to some extent, to some degree. I think some of that's been lost a little bit because uh, people want to stay in favor with people or not upset people or be the yes men. But we have enough yes men and women in this industry for a lifetime. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, well, why it's- not just say to somebody, actually, if I were. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Oh no, no, I, 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 I was just gonna, I was just gonna nod my head and say absolutely. But I mean, I would, you know, I would ask, like, on something like Sicario, you've got, mm-hmm. I mean, my God, what a cast! You, you know, you got Josh Brolin and you've got Benicio del Toro. You got, as you said, the lovely Emily Blunt, and yet you got to mess them up. <laughs> you know, I mean, the whole yeah. point is, they were, is great. they were great. Emily was. You know, Emily was great because I think when I've, I've seen her in other films and she's an extraordinary actress and I saw her in Young Victoria and, and you know, the, the Devil Wears Prada. So you start to think, well, I don't really do that. That's not what I do. And then I meet her and we spoke on the phone and I think Denis had said to her, you know, he's he's great. I really love him. And what a huge honor and privilege it is when a director says... Because a lot of makeup, this is one thing people forget. Directors choose costume designers, which is as it should be. Yes. But a lot of directors don't get to choose the makeup. Often the actor or producer or studio. So I think some directors are quite frustrated. By the time they get to the makeup head of department or a personal makeup artist or hair and makeup designer or whatever, or special effects makeup is often hired outside of the realm of which I don't agree with, I think I should do it, um, is that you have so many people handling it. By the time makeup comes on, the director's like, oh, you're doing it. And they haven't had much interaction. So therefore, very few makeup artists or heads of department are really hired by the director anymore, which is really unfortunate. Mm. You know, know uh, and I think it's hard for yeah, because when I started years ago, um, I mean, actually, all of us were hired by the production designer once upon a time. Way, way, way back. Costume yeah. designers included. Well, you know, one of the things... And I, I, I mean... I, oh, go I, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say really briefly, I think what happened is when you get to work with a director who puts the emphasis on what he or she wants in the look of the film from the makeup, whether it's the hair, makeup, HOD or designer or whatever, I think it puts the actors at ease actually. Mm. And some actors will go, you know what? I'm going to work with your person. You think he's so great. And I think that was my relationship with Emily and Josh and, and Benicio on that film because 
we made, I think, an extraordinary film that I'm really proud of, that they are all proud of. And I love working with them every day. There is not a day I worked on that film. Not once did I went, oh, screw this. You know, I'm fed up. I'm tired. I'm hot. Because it was hard. Not one day went by in four months that I ever felt like that on that film. Yeah. I mean, I, I can and only imagine. <laughs> well, you, I, your, your credits, especially recently, you've worked on these monstrous projects with, like in the case of Dune, huge cast of, of actors. Blade Runner 2049, in terms of its design work, a giant project. Spider-Man Far From Home um, at Skyfall. I'm curious, has the, the size of these projects and the fact that so often green screen is employed, uh, is it, has that changed your methodology over the years, working on these large fantasy projects as opposed to, say, something more intimate, like a prisoners. Well, I, I mean, prisoners was a, a challenge. I mean, I, I can't lie; it was a, a very difficult, uh, rewarding, challenging, creative, and, and wonderful people. But yeah, very different in the sense of small crew, like three, three makeup, two hair, maybe maybe three, mm. couple of special people coming in and out, some additional people. Very small makeup hair crew. Um, on a very intense makeup film. I mean, and I will say Denise films are generally makeup intensive, whether even Sicario, but Prisoners, Blade Runner. Um, so I think that you, you, I guess Blade Runner, particularly, I'd been working on Stronger with Jake and Tatiana in Boston when, when they called me to do Blade Runner. And I remember being terrified. because I thought, <laughs> why are they calling me? Why aren't they calling? I could list some of my friends and colleagues. I thought, why aren't they calling those 10 people? Why me? And I called Denis up. I emailed him and I said, can I please speak with you? And he phoned me and he said, what's, what's going on? And I said, what? Like, why me? And he goes, why not you? <laughs> you know, and, and I've I'm terrified. And he goes, I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. And I thought, okay. And then I saw Roger and his wife, James, and we had dinner and we talked about coming to Budapest to do Blade Runner 2049. And I started meeting the actors and Roger's like, just make sure you bring la la la. And uh, we're going to do this and do that. And everybody and his crew, amazing. He's got, I mean, his crew, focus puller, everybody, Dolly grip, everyone, the, the DI. And we all kind of said, okay, well, that's what we're doing. We're all terrified, but we'll do it. And that's what we did. And I think we shared this thing. I remember the camera test, that set. The first time I saw that set with the rain and Don Sparks, the first day, and he said, hey, Don, do you want to come and look how wet the set is? And I went and Roger, what he, the way he lit it was, it was just, just jaw-dropping, extraordinary film set. I mean, nothing parallels the way Roger lights something like that. And you go, oh, my God. I can't effing believe this. Yeah. Blade Runner 2049 is Ryan Gosling. And we're trying to put it all together. And then it all seemed easy as though you're working on a $5 million movie, like a Nightcrawler, where we don't have all of that, but we are working in a different way. So I think it's really about the people you're working with 
and the openness to being creative and spontaneous and daring. And what I love with Denis is we don't plan too much. We do it very last minute. And it'll be, what about this? Why don't we try bandages on Ryan's nose? Kind of, I don't know, an homage to Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. Hence my and we shirt. did it. And I thought, oh, my God. are we? And it worked. Right? So well, that brings I up... think the daunting... Yes, yeah, please go ahead. Well, like things that you've done, like, for instance, the tattoos in, uh, like, on prisoners... The, like the finger tattoos or or the girl with the dragon tattoo, just for my own edification, I've always wondered, like when you're doing stuff like that, does that come from production design? Do you work with that? Was it is it an actor's idea? Like what how does all of that happen when there's things well, like tattoos? In the girl with the dragon tattoo, to be fair, I really came on only to do Daniel. They had other people in place. And the costume designer, Trish Somerville, she designed most of the makeup and hair, mm. along with Pat McGrath and Torsten and other people. I came on to do Daniel specifically, and I ended up doing some stuff on Rooney, um, special makeup, bruising, uh, things like that. So the tattoos were already kind of pre-designed. With Jake on Prisoners, Jake and I did that. And I remember having to go to Denis to say, what do you think? And I don't think he loved it at first. I, I'm quite opposed to tattoos in films, just for the record, okay. for a lot of reasons. And, and I just think, why? I mean, why? It's just been done so many times. You're like, enough already. Let's not have a tattoo and be creative. <laughs> but, you know, Jake was right. Jake was right on that one. And he put the fingers on himself. He's so fantastic. I would do his face and the neck. Jake's a proper actor. He's been trained. He knows how to do things. So he doesn't want to sit in a makeup chair for an hour. So we're proactive. We do the hair, the makeup, all of it. It's it's just, it's it, it's a work in progress. And he is the most refreshing person to work with as an actor because he's not looking to sit still and let somebody do everything. He wants to be a part of it. Mm. And... I love it. And Denis just said, look, whatever. If we can clear all these Russian tattoos. And we couldn't clear one of them um, so it doesn't end up in the film. But it was great. It was a great project to work on because every character had something in that film. Right. And, well, and yeah, and I really, yeah. Well, I think that that, that kind of thing is where, where I think a great makeup artists can shine. And, you know, when I go back to, like, Blade Runner, I was I wanted to ask you, uh, with Blade Runner, you've obviously got human characters, you have replicant characters, you've got a holographic character, yeah, and, yeah. and and were how did you go about? And then of course Ryan Gosling gets the shit kicked out of him throughout that entire film, so he's getting yeah. beat up. Um, was that a fun project to to take on? And uh, in terms of the makeup design, did you have to do like? Were you and Denis coming up with things like, okay, this character is a replicant or Jared Leto's character, Wallace, you know, he's blind. And and there was a lot of different things. Was that something that you spent a lot of time developing? Were there different looks between the humans and the replicants? Did you want to, did like, do, I don't know. Did you have conversations about, well, I wonder if replicants sweat as much as human beings. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you bring this up because. This very same thing happened to me on First Man, uh, but but I don't want to muddle the two the two stories. 
on Blade Runner, I would often say to Roger, because, you know, we see each other outside of work or, and, and James, his wife, who's very much part of the whole sort of team Deacons, you know, yeah. and, and I would say, well, I mean, does the replicant have to look like this? And we'd all be kind of thinking, but it's a fantasy. And Roger said, well, it's a fantasy. And I would ask Denis, like, should Ryan be clean shaved and kind of beautiful and sort of perfect, like a Tom Ford model? And we all would ask ourselves, and then Ryan had a really interesting point, is like, but we don't know. And then you find yourself asking yourself such bizarre questions as a human being. As a man, you kind of go, am I really thinking this through? And and I'll occasionally call a very dear friend of mine who retired from the industry, who was uh, an actress, and say, am I crazy? And she'll be, no, no, you're not at all crazy. It's good you're actually thinking like this. And Ryan came to me. We did some camera tests. Uh, the first couple of tests we did on Blade Runner, I don't think he loved his look. I think we had to work on it. We had mm. to make it more grittier, more way. I think Denis came to me one day and said, I I don't know. Are you going like, are you doing? And I said, well, it's more Clint Eastwood. That's the way I'm seeing it. And Denis thought that was interesting. And Ryan thought it was very funny. And I went, well, I don't know what it is, but I think it's Clint Eastwood. It's a little bit dirty and grimy, but kind of sexy and macho and masculine, but whatever that is in a modern, whatever that is. And everybody was like, okay. And I loved, I loved how honest everybody could be. And Ryan did not want to be clean and perfect. So we increased the stubble. And and then can a replicant, well, we don't know. Is he a replicant? Everything's a fantasy. So I learned a lot from that experience. And the hologram with the pink on yeah, Joy Diarmas, was just getting yeah, how did you how'd you do that? Yeah. Like uh, yeah, what was that what was that process like? Well, try asking people. Ask five different people what color pink is to them, and that'll bend your head around that one. <laughs> what color is pink to you? Is it bubblegum pink? Is it come out of a baseball pack of cards? Is it bubblicious? Is it pink like this? Is it? I ran around for a week. So when I left LA, right before we started shooting, I went to the suppliers in North Hollywood, and I just went, what? And we thought, well, maybe it's not pink. Maybe it's red. And the early artwork looked kind of red, and I thought she looked like a red version of Mystique from, and I called Denise and said, she looks like Mystique. He's like, what do you mean? I went, well, the artwork that your illustrator is doing looks like Mystique from X-Men. I, I think we're making a mistake. And her eye, and anyway, we started making contact lenses. I sent her for a fitting in North Hollywood. We, I just went into the suppliers and bought every color that I could think of as pink, imaginable. And then I thought, maybe go red and orange just for safety. And that's what we did. And we turned up and I started doing tests and we did one test and I walked around the office and went to Roger and Denis and said, is this pink? Is this the color of pink you want? Yes, that's it. Uh, and, and that's how we ended up. We changed the wig from pink to that kind of bluey color because it needed some contrast. The contact lenses worked, uh, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was a practical makeup. We painted it on, we did it twice. Uh, and people still to this day, say to me, it's not makeup. That was all the effects. And I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> I remember because I was there and we did it. And Joe McNeil, my he and myself and Sheila painted that on Anadharma standing up on a platform painting her pink. 
but people think it's a V effect. <laughs> and then, of course, she has her different wig colors, and sometimes she's more opaque and real than other times when you can see through her. I mean, it, uh, just a, a staggering. I mean, that character was amazing. I mean, I, I, actually, everything about Blade Runner twenty forty nine is amazing. Um, did you have to like? There's another. Uh, this is sort of just as an aside, but we we see replicants. There's a scene where a replicants born, and Jared Leto like. Uh-huh. kills that poor replicant yes. did you have conversations about okay before replicants are born what color is their skin like before they're totally animated or turned uh, on yeah. or what okay okay well i remember we we had a test now so our practical effects gird he's remarkable i mean he is remarkable and we have the whole effects and visual effects were incredible uh, Paul Lambert, but Gerd, who's our practical effects from Germany. I mean, they are exquisite because they did a test. We all went and it was going to be the dropping of the stunt woman through this sack. And what they used for the fluid became this big. I love these conversations we'll end up in for a week. <laughs> what should it be? What it actually was, and I remember this, was thinking, what are we going to use? Because I did this on Mimic where we used this syrup from the UK, Lyle's syrup, which is quite gold. And I thought, are we going to have to layer, like put this all over this poor girl and it's sticky? (laughs) No, somebody came up with this fluid that you use for doing, um, I guess, a scan or some kind of pregnancy ultrasound, the jelly they use. That's what it was. And whoever thought of that, genius. Uh, maybe it was good. So that was the test. And it made the skin a little bit yellow. I remember that. And it was a big concern because we had to check with the young lady to make sure the color of her hair wouldn't turn color and that she would go into the sack and that she was able to breathe. And they, they had a tube and she would slide through. And there's Jared with his lenses and he can't see because we piggybacked them. I remember the day thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing? And Jared, with two pairs of contact lenses, he couldn't see a thing. And this girl coming through, and it was kind of a remarkable moment with all of us on set. It was an incredible day. Um, But, yeah, we tested it one time, and it worked. And it was when every department works beautifully in sync. And it only happens, I don't know, maybe in my career, half a dozen times, where... Everybody knew what they were doing and everyone was given the privilege and the honor and respect of doing what, instead of people asking or telling people what to do, we all did what we do. I did Jared's makeup. We put that thing on his neck. I never loved it, by the way, uh, the light, I thought, you know, but we still had to do it. We had to do that. We had the girl, all my team, everybody was in there. Jared was delightful. He really was, and he was totally blind and, you know, walking him to the set. But every department did what they, what they're passionate about doing and what they're good at, and nobody interfered. And that, for me, was a rare moment in the business that you think, this is why we do what we do. Well, and such a staggering achievement. Now, I'd love to ask uh, also, when you work with somebody like Jared and then you do like Blade Runner 2049 where he can't see, but then you go back and you work for like John Lee Hancock doing the little things where he gets yeah. to play. 
is, and when you work with an actor again, and you have done that so many times, do you have a different experience working with an actor based on the material and the kind of movie it is, or is it pretty much the same for you when you're working with an actor? Well, you know, it's interesting because Jared, I mean, I, I sort of knew I'd work with him again. I don't know why. I think I thought of it as a dare um, because I, I felt like we'd accomplished this thing in Blade Runner as, as Wallace. And, and when little things came up, somebody called me and said, would you be interested? And it's at Warner brothers and et cetera, et cetera. And I just finished Dune and I went right to Warner brothers and I met John Lee. What an incredible guy. He's a great writer, very nice man. And Mark Johnson, like producer, a real producer, right. And Mike Drake and, and they asked if I would work on the film and they told Jared and I went up to meet Jared and he, it was really nice because I was a little worried about it because I knew, I know with Jared that you have to work at a certain level for him. I don't always agree with it and I'm not going to make excuses. I don't think it's always the right thing for everybody, but that's how he works. And he makes it perfectly clear how he's going to work. And I thought, you know, I'm okay with that because I've had the experience from Blade Runner. And I will say when I went up to see Jared, he walked right in. He walked right up to me and he said, Donald, it's so good to see you. Gave me a hug and said, I'm so happy you're doing this. And I thought, you know, for him, that's more than you're going to get. That's a lot for him. And we talked and he brought me in to look at things. And we had not that different an experience other than it was um, maybe more involved because we, we ended up doing lenses again, which I didn't think we would do. And he was not, I was surprised he wasn't so open to the lenses after Blade Runner, but I think it was my personal, I'm going to get him back for putting me through those blind <laughs> lenses that I'll put him in another pair of lenses. But you know what? He was a, a delight as well. And the character made me strangely laugh. Uh, we changed the nose at the very last minute as the way Jared will. He will say, you know what? It's not quite big enough. And my great friend and colleague, Lube Larson, who, who worked with me and I brought him on Dune to do an amazing makeup. I, I just said, Lube, like, please, you got to do this for me because Jared will see the nose. He will know it needs to be fixed. He'll see something. And I respect that he has that eye. And so I think the little things was actually kind of a great experience. Mm. Um, and, and we were, very, I thought it was a great experience to try a different makeup that for a lot of things on the film, it stood out. I thought he was transformative in, in a great part, actually. I thought he was great in the part yeah. and I enjoyed watching him and he made me laugh. There was something and he, you know, the things he says, and we did them in an hour and a half. And I felt like, you know what? We did a great job. I'm really proud of it. I was proud to be on the, the shortlisted for it. Mark Neiman working with me. Top prosthetics makeup working. We just two of us doing that makeup in an hour and 25 minutes was pretty great. Yeah, I have to say so. And, well, you know, I, I'm curious also when you're working with the same actors across different kinds of movies, like with Jake Gyllenhaal, you go from Prisoners to Nightcrawler to Mysterio in mm -hmm. Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, do you, 
as a makeup artist with these actors, do you come up with different approaches to each film based on the subject matter? Like, mm-hmm. does Jake Gyllenhaal have to look more perfect when he's in a Marvel movie yeah. as opposed to yes. Nightcrawler? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great because I think it was very hard on Spider-Man. I'd never worked on one. I mean, until now in the Marvel world, I think you have to understand what it is and, and take it for what it is and respect, you know, I mean, it's like you talked earlier about genres and things. And I do, I like genre films as well. I think you have to acknowledge what it is sure. and, and not be contentious and be precious. Oh, but I'm not doing that. Well, whatever. Um, I did say it when I met, you know, when we saw that first costume fitting with the cape and everything, it's all quite extraordinary. What a great and costume thought, too. It was a great, I mean, it was great. And they are great. Um, I mean, Anna Shepard. I mean, you know, you think the ability of all the people to also modify what they do from where they've come from on different films and modify. We can all do it. We're creative. But I looked at Jake and I said, you know what, for this, it's, I mean, they were nervous, the beard, the hair, is it too big? Like, no, 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 no. Everybody stop it. There's too many people talking. Just put the costume on and look at it. <laughs> I, I don't know when the business got where everybody says, let's decide the makeup before the costume goes on. But that was happening. Right. I will say that. It was happening. And I was a bit kind of, really? And went to the costume fitting and saw the costume. And I said to Jake, okay, this is what it is. We don't do anything. You just look great. You get bronzed up. You get perfect hair. That perfect beard, we're going to brush and put some stuff in it. You look phenomenal. You're wearing a pair of skin-tight things with a cape. Everybody's looking at you. You look great. What are we What are we doing here? Like, that's what it is. And I think it's something only Laurence Olivier could do. You have to be a tremendous actor to do yes. it. Yes. I've done this. If you're not a tremendous actor, it's a flop. But I thought, and I kept saying, look at all those movies. Lawrence Olivier did it. Peter O'Toole did it. You can do this. And Jake did it with big hair and a beard and a little bit of bronzer. Um, Very well, In a great costume. Very well. Well, now that I mean... Nightcrawler, you do. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Nightcrawler, man, talk about... I mean, you don't know if he's on drugs, if he's manic, if he's insane... But again, uh, what you did there was uh, what I talk about—a great performance inhabiting that role. Did you do you have conversations with Jake about what he's like? He wants to be sweatier than normal, or he's like taking too much Adderall, like if from his process in his yeah. own mind, because he had to know where he was coming from. Like, is he crazy? What's his deal? And then does well, he work with you to come up with that? Well, no, he's he's fantastic. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better partner. I mean. He's someone, I, I love him. I mean, I just, I love him. Uh, I really mean that sincerely because, you know, the people you work with are not necessarily your friends. I think that's a common, we all know that. It's, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. Uh, we can't mix it up. Some people get mixed up. I don't get mixed up. Jake's a friend. He's also an actor I really admire. I think as an artist, I really admire him and his talent. And I think it's kind of exquisite. But I also... I kind of admire that he's sort of old school. Mm. I always said he's the genuine article since I met him. But there are times I can say to him, listen, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling that. And, and he will listen. Um, 
I think what was important in Nightcrawler, they were worried about the way he looked because he lost some weight. And I really contoured and sculpted him and gave him that funny yellowish color. But I'd always made up in my mind. I don't know what made me think at driving to work one day. He's never sweaty. He will never perspire in this movie. He's going to be sticky and sickly and oily. He is never going to sweat. There's a big difference. Yeah. Because sweating is a kind of an emotion reaction. And he's not fearful. He's not scared. He's creepy. And Jake agreed. And Dan Gilroy, who, I mean, do you get a better writer than Dan Gilroy? I don't think so. And this was this perfect movie was perfect for me. And there we were in LA shooting this movie. And I had the most incredible time. I loved it. I loved everything about it. And Mm -hmm. the character, the hearing him say it and Riz Ahmed in his first American film and all those wonderful people. And Dan Gilroy with the script, I still think is one of the best things I've ever read. Mm. Well, maybe in the top three I've ever read ever in my career. And Jake, better than anything, better than anything. It was, it's a, you know, it's like tour de force. People say it was, and we had a great time in that makeup. But Jen Fox, the producer did say to me, the second or third day we were shooting over by Sunset Junction. She was like, Don, can you come here for a second? She goes, Jake looks really bad. I mean, he looks bad. I went, yeah, but isn't that what we want? And Jake said, do it. Let's do it. We're going to commit and do it. <laughs> but I know there was a little bit of anxiety yeah. because he's Jake Gyllenhaal. But that's the difference. That's the ability of Jake to say, you know what, but I want to do this. And I think we should. And, and it worked, I think, very well. And I'm happy with the outcome. But I know they were nervous about it. And some people were, you know, behind Video Village having an opinion, going all those dark circles. But oh, it was, sure. it was a, an incredible time. And I missed it. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, well, I, I, I would be remiss. Obviously, Dune is one of, one of the most eagerly awaited films for me in years. But you have many titles on Dune. Uh, according to the IMDb, hair department head, makeup and hair designer, makeup department head, and the prosthetics designer. And the thing with Dune, for those people who don't know, you basically have three different factions of people. Uh, you have the Harkonnens, the villains. You have the Atreides, who are the the good guys. And then, of course, you have the Fremen. And the Fremen are the dwellers on Arrakis, Dune, the the, the, the uh, indigenous people, as it were, if you want to call them that, or people that moved there and became indigenous. Then you've, of course, got Skellen, Skellen Skarsgård, who is playing Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, that if you remember, Kenneth McMillan played him in David Lynch's Dune, obviously. And as right. Jose Ferrer said, the flying fat man in that movie. Right. Right. Uh, I. I just, I gotta know, man. Like, when you started it on Dune, you've obviously you worked on Blade Runner 2049, you worked on Prisoners, you worked on Sicario, you already have a great relationship with Denis Villeneuve, but was this the biggest challenge of your career? And where yeah. did you start? Yeah. Where did you start? Did you did you read the books? Did you just read the script? Did you look at production uh, design well, work? Where do you as a makeup person start on a movie like Dune? Well... I, I did start to read the book and then I stopped hmm. and then I started to, because the same thing happened on Blade Runner where I watched Blade Runner, which is one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. And I always go, I've used it for reference for many, many films way back. 
even Captain Power. Um, <laughs> so I stopped watching Blade Runner when I worked on Blade Runner. And I thought, no, I'm not getting into this. I'm not getting muddled here, confusing it. And I did the same thing with Dune because I knew Denis would throw a couple of curveballs at me. And so, and a lot of people, I think, too, were, were mixing it up. When I first read it, um, I was scared, but not in the same way I was on Blade Runner because I, f- I felt I climbed that mountain. I, I'm the only person apart from Patrice to have a relationship with Denis, you know, for multiple films. And Patrice Vermette, who's such a wonderful production designer, I just felt like we were already like on the right track because I knew Denis from other films. I knew Patrice. And gradually I thought this will be, Denis wants me to do this and putting me in charge so I I can do what I need to do. And I go to him and report what I'm thinking and these, this is what's coming up. And he listens and I get a sense pretty early on. I kind of know what not to show him, if that makes sense. Mm. And I'll, I do kind of mock-ups. We do Photoshop. We do tests on everybody. Same thing with Blade Runner. Every extra, every group of people, I do a makeup. And I do mostly hands-on. Um, with, with Dune, we decided I would run the hair and makeup and prosthetics because I think I know maybe what he'd be looking for and also to take the, all the extra work out of it. And it's no offense to other people who run those departments exclusively other than I work a really specific way. And so does he. And then the marriage of putting me with, I mean, with Jackie, I mean, Jacqueline and Bob and putting us was so it was harmonious. Everything just worked. It just all worked. We could have a meeting, Lala, you know, this the Baron, I mean, so without going, I mean, I know we, we're not saying a lot about Dune right now till till next month, but I think it is safe to say it was a very well-matched group of people. And it is like matchmaking. You know, it's a bit like a Yentl, right? Trying to figure out and yep. put it, and then finding my team, which was not easy. Getting my team and who can do this and who, who will do that. And the Baron was, it was on my mind. I had lots of ideas but I, I didn't know if I could say too much and what we can and what we can't. And is it, is it going to be, it was a number of possibilities, what I can say to you. And I'd love to say more when we yeah. can, but it was three or four things. I, I think though, what I'd be curious about from a, from a technical standpoint, when you're dealing with, obviously yes. the, we know that there's three different factions of people. And when you're doing something like that from a makeup standpoint, do you go and choose, like, for instance, say the Atreides, they're only, you're only going to use a certain foundation on them. Like their skin yeah, pallor yeah. looks a certain way. And did yeah. you, for the Fremen, yeah. you know, cooked by the sun, so then you go to a different makeup. Yeah. I mean, yeah. are, is that something? Yeah, I, that I'm curious yeah. about just from a technical standpoint to, to, to create a look yeah. for characters. Do you, do you ever do that? Do you mix and match in terms of the actual yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we decided quite early on, for instance, I mean, the Sardaukur were a specific thing. Right. And Denise, so what we, you know, I send in, I send mood boards, he sends mood boards and they're always different, but we kind of come together and then I go see what costume we're doing and they see what I'm doing. But I love, I love the question because the one thing I wanted to, to add about Dune particularly was 
when you're working with something so established that people have in their mind's eye what things will look like, we have a bit of a twist on it. So that's a whole other thing. But, you know, sometimes when you're reading it, you think, well, I can make this interesting where the subtlest of changes, you know, people not shaving, uh, people with a darker natural skin tone. The hardest thing, the hardest thing was the fact that we shot out of sequence as you do on films, as you know, Mm -hmm. but also going to a hot climate in certain countries that people's skin tones in the Atreides, for instance, can't change color because they're your principal actors that come from somewhere else. Oh, yes. And that was preoccupation. I just kept thinking, how do I keep, and I went to Denise saying, we've got to talk about this because how do you keep Jessica and Paul and everybody so our main royal family, so to speak, can't be shooting the exteriors in the Middle East before we do. Go back to Caledon. My level. Yeah. So I think that's a huge factor. A lot of people in the real, in the world of going, they would never think of it, but actually when you do think of it going, Oh my God, the makeup, how do I keep her? How do we keep her looking like this regal, the, you know, the wife of Duke Leto. How do we do that? Um, so there were a lot of challenges that are very quite basic makeup, but it's bigger than that. And as far as the Fremen, I mean, we came up with things, you know, little tattoos and different things that were, you know, Fremen and, and lots of Photoshop of every actor in possible looks. And we narrowed it down to like this for Javier Bardem or for Stellan. Um, we honed in on people pretty quickly. Right. Now I have yeah. to ask this question. In the original Dune, the David Lynch version from 84, there is a, I don't know if it's true or not, but an effects artist apparently went insane because they had to go in and color the blue eyes of the Fremen. They had to do it by hand, frame to frame to frame. Obviously, obviously I think one of the great questions, uh, is that just something they did in CG? Or did you actually have to figure out a way to practically, I mean, I, I don't know. Did you do that practically or did you do it by CG in terms of the blue eyes of the Fremen? I don't think I'm allowed to say that right now. Okay. I understand. I I could. I really (laughs) couldn't. No, no, no. Let's keep it. Let's get, you know what? That'll just be something I'll be curious to see. I'm I'm happy to tell at a later date. Sure. uh, But we'll say this. It is for people listening who are interested. It's one of the things now in, in the overall makeup and costume you do have to think about whilst you're preparing what you're doing. So I don't know, Zendaya or, you know, what you're doing as a neutral eyeshadow or whatever of what the eye color could be. Um, So it's a whole new dimension. Even for me, as I'm learning, I'm getting more savvy, but yeah. um, But I mean, once the movie's out in October, we'll talk more, I hope, because I'd love to share some of that with you. It was really uh, kind of a great experience. Yeah. I would love to know because I was like, huh, would they make green screen uh, contact lenses? <laughs> you know, just like what would they do? Because, because to, you, you know, I mean. They're, they're... Funny I can't you should wait. say that because for Blade Runner, for Anna, for Joy, we actually did do, and I wish I'd kept them. We made green screen lenses, which still aren't used widely. I, I don't know why. 
because we weren't sure what color we would go with that very it ended up being quite a dark purple mm. um purple black but we made them in green but it freaked everybody out because it looked like a lizard <laughs> and i think when it was very hard for people to imagine that we could change those eyes very easily but i think you had to see the actual dark eye color so that's it fascinating now i gotta ask you i don't really have the body to wear his clothes i'd have to work out every day and eat right and not drink i'm a huge tom ford fan <laughs> and Me i too. have i have to ask mm-hmm. i mean i got to see him speak i went and saw nocturnal animals at a screening at the hollywood film school because he was going to be there to talk and i think a single mm-hmm. man uh i've never seen a movie where even more so than a ridley scott film where every frame was just exquisite uh and what was it like, like when you're working for someone like Tom Ford, obvious who's in the fashion industry, was there more pressure on you uh, doing oh, yeah. that film? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was the one film where I tried, I mean, full disclosure, I tried everything to get out of it. <laughs> I was terrified. I just thought, what have I done? I've got to go work on something else. I went to meet Tom Ford in London. I was finishing Bond, uh, Spectre, and I got a call. Barbara Broccoli from Bond had recommended me to Tom, and Jake was happens to be in it. But Barbara Broccoli recommended me to Tom Ford, which is very nice of her. And I went to meet Tom Ford at the Tom Ford Fashion Empire in London. Do you remember the TV show Ugly Betty? Of course. Do you remember? That's how I felt. (laughs) I went to Tom Ford's office. And... I went to this office going, oh, I'm Ugly Betty. I went to this office with the TF and the big doors, like the Wizard of Oz, TF, here. These huge, big, brown, mahogany doors in London, somewhere in central central London. And I went to this meeting. And I remember going in the Navy jacket, quite conservative, preppy, thinking, God, Tom Ford, how about that? And I go there and everybody looks the same and they're all skinny and everybody's got the same makeup, the boys and the girls. Everybody's tall. Everybody's in a black suit. And I thought, I am ugly Betty. This is what's happened. (laughs) And I'm sitting there. Oh, Mr. Moet, would you like a coffee? Would you like a water? Yes, of course. And I'm sitting there watching all these people and thinking, what have I done? This is the biggest mistake of my life. I can't do this job. (laughs) And then I met Tom Ford, who... He was just wonderful. And Tom was was great because his enthusiasm. And as I walked in, he kind of eyeballed me. And I thought, well, screw that. I'll eyeball him. And he kind of looked me over and checked my hair and my skin. And I thought I did the same. I thought I can do that, too. And what was so wonderfully refreshing about him is that he said, now, just let me explain what this is. And he showed me on his laptop a present, a visual presentation of maybe 35 photographs just sliding along on this iPad, just, you know, just like water. And he just kind of swiped over them. And it was every character, every scene in the film, practically, with photographs that would be what would become Amy Adams or Jake Gyllenhaal or or Michael Shannon. It was really, it was astonishing how he presented it. And he asked me if I would work on the film. And I said, I'll think about it. And I felt this sort of, you know, I I know what this is and it'll be difficult, but I can do it. And I did. I loved working on the film and I'm so grateful to him. And he was very nice to me. And 
because it could be, you know, he's an architect, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's into the makeup and hair, huge, hugely into it. And he will walk in the trailer and get involved. And it's not for everybody, but I really, uh, I, I thought he was, he was remarkable. And he's a very nice man. Very nice man. Um, well, that, uh, Seamus McGarvey spotted. It's good to, it's good to hear that. Now I've got to ask you, obviously something else, obviously we'll stay away from any kind of spoilers, but you've now worked in the Marvel universe. You're working on it. I, anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge fanatical Moon Knight fan. And oh. as we talked about before we started, there's different incarnations of the character of Moon Knight, uh, as we've gone along and they've, they've really sort of moved into more of a, um, uh, the, the character in the comics, at least, is crazy. <laughs> if they went, for, he always had multiple personalities, but they were controlled, and then he got crazier as the, as the years went by. But I'm I'm really curious. Obviously, having worked with uh, Oscar Isaac before, mm -hmm. I would assume. Did you go back when you first started on when you start on a comic book property? I mean, like Mysterio mm -hmm. has had one look throughout the years, but. Moon Knight has had very di many different incarnations. Did you ever go back and look at the comics over the years, like how Moon Knight was presented? Because he's had <laughs> sometimes he's dressed with a top hat and a natty white suit, and other times yeah. he was much more of a Batman character. Did you do do you do that kind of research? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm research crazy. I mean, I hashtag that because I I just I do need to say that I think. It's we're, I'm very aware of it when, you know, a, a character is eccentric or has something, a, a mental illness that it's really, you know, that I'm aware of, of it's delicate. Mm. If a character split, I really was, I was finding myself being very sensitive to it because it's been a concern of mine during COVID. And I work with a lot of young people with, within, you know, BAFTA and South Central, where I thought, you know, it is a thing where people are crazy. You know, people are, there's a lot of anxiety and paranoia. So I've been very careful in, in how I sort of thought about it. But I did, I like Moon Knight because I started to look up a few things and I didn't know the comics at all. Mm. I mean, full transparency, I didn't know. Um, my partner, he knows all that stuff. So I'll call him and say, what, what's up with that? Is it, is it this? And I look it up. But what's interesting when you research things is that everybody turns up now on the internet with the same research, which is so boring. When right. we used to go to the library, people turned up with their own research. And now it's the same Google images from the Getty or whatever. Yep. But I, I did find that. a couple of comic books. And they struck me. I hate it. But I did find a couple of comic books that I wanted to show Oscar. There were a couple of things I thought were interesting and I, I, I love that you can say to somebody like Oscar, who's a, you know one of our great actors of our time, was using other examples. And an example I kept using was about paranoia, mental illness, schizophrenia. Was Roman Polanski's The Tenant is something I kept thinking about. Such a great film, and it's at a different level, right? It's at a very different level. It's at a hyper hysterical different i know it's not in the same vein as a disney marvel but there is elements of it and i think that was something and i went to oscar scene but there's so it's very interesting that we have recognized that and the character has some a couple of looks that are not far off but there's you know 
there's certainly elements of it. And I kept looking to that and spider Ray fines sure. um, films that I thought were very deep and very deep and really, really demonstrated uh, thoughts about mental illness and paranoia and schizophrenia. So, you know, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's part of our job to be fair and delicate and sensitive of how we present it. Um, and I'm not familiar with the, it, it was very helpful for me. And, and I've learned a lot about it because it wasn't until I watched and just hear me on this for one second, Queer as Folk was the first show I ever watched years after it was on television that really was I this the original British version books. or the American version? The American version, because it wasn't until their latter season where they get into a character who writes a comic book. And I found it very touching mm. that he'd had PTSD and he wrote a comic book character with his friend that had been gay bashed. And I really, I think there's something now I'm missing. I remember being a little kid loving Spider-Man and I loved it. The cartoon, dark and very too dark for a little kid. I mean, you're five or six watching that Saturday morning. What the hell? I mean, it's dark. But I, I think working on Moon Knight has given me this sort of renewed interest and how I kind of undervalued some of the comic book superhero world is. I don't have a look down on it the way some people are really not nice about it because I think there's a lot in these characters that we can learn from. And, and it's very sensitive as a kid when I go back on but why did I like that so much? What attracted me to these secret characters? There's always a secret. There's always something. There's a power. And I, it's been very interesting for me to, to work on this. Well, one of the things, too, about something like Moon Knight, the, first of all, the fact that you just cited a David Cronenberg film and a Roman Polanski movie as inspiration for your makeup work in Moon Knight is all I need to know to be very, very excited about this show. Uh, but w- one of the things I love about Moon Knight is, is uh, at first, Moon Knight was a very noir character. And, and there right. was literally femme fatales. And then as you, it came out of, he was a horror character too. You literally had the werewolf by night was, was where Moon Knight came out of, you know, and then werewolf by night participated in, in the original Moon Knight series. And then he, then he went the other way and was more crazy, like a Joker or uh, mm-hmm. dis- personality disorder and all that. So the character of Moon Knight has gone through many different iterations in terms of different genres, mm-hmm. and it mixes sure. and matches all. And the fact that you go and you look for things, I mean, for me, hearing that you look for those kinds of inspirations for your work when you go and look at movies like The Tenant and you haven't, or you look mm-hmm. at, at something like Spider, is exciting to hear. And I think. You know, that's the kind of thing you want from from any of your collaborators, and especially when Moon Knight's mental disposition is such a big part of the character. And to go back and look at these, I mean, what Roman Polanski himself, because he's the lead in The Tenant, and then also Ray Fiennes in, in, in Spider-Man, that's, I mean, in Spider, not Spider-Man. Uh, it's just great to hear that that's where you go. I mean, this is why you get hired. This is why actors want to work with you over and over and over again. And it's not something I think that should be ever. Um, this is this is the reason. This is what you want from your collaborators. Exactly what you're what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you feel? Did you have to come to grips with? I mean, obviously, you've done a lot of work on uh, whether it was Bond, now science fiction films with d- directors, uh, or something like Sicario. 
you know, you've 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 dealt with humanity in crisis. Have you ever wanted to go back and do like some period piece where you just get to make everybody look beautiful all the time? Or do you like do you like where you're at? I like where I'm at. When I was younger, I loved working, especially in television on period pieces. I loved it. I thought it was the best, you know, doing period makeup. Exciting. It's beautiful. It's usually beautiful. Not always, but uh, I loved it. And I really thought I excelled in it. You kind of, you know, it's, it's a, especially in the TV world, remember the miniseries, the network, mini, and we were doing 40s. And it was great fun. I love the 30s personally. But no, I'll tell you why. I, well, twofold. If you're working with a certain type of person and you're doing a period film, you know you're going to do beautiful work if you have the right designers, costume, hair, makeup, everything. But then you're going to work on something where you're not going to have a lot to say. You're just going to be an employee doing the makeup, which has happened on some films. Mm. And I think that that would depress or it's a style of period that I don't think is real or interesting. Stylized is stylized. Like, the lovely is beautiful. You know, that was beautiful. Um, mm. But then there's a period where you think, but that's not really period. And, and whatever. Or it's got a movie star who's going to look the way they want to look. That's not interesting to me. But I think, to be fair, what really is, is that I'd rather do something that's not been done. I want to create a new character. Um, I want something that's based in reality. Well, whatever it is, but I mean, doing a period piece, I love, you know, Christine Blundell's work in Mr. Turner is beyond staggering. I mean, the way Rafe, I mean, what they've done with Timothy Spall, the makeup, the hair is extraordinary. No one does it like she does. It's, it is brilliant but it's period recreation and character work topsy-turvy brilliant but it's not really my world and i think the period thing now for me i don't think it's as original or for me not Mm. i mean other people want to do it but i'm not lined up to do it not really no Hmm. well you know it's interesting to me too like you worked a lot we haven't really talked about your relationship with mark Wahlberg. you worked on a lot of films with mark Wahlberg. Yeah, and you know all the way back to David O. Russell on Three Kings, which that had to be a crazy shoot. Um, but yes. the, but you know when you have a relationship like Mark Mark Wahlberg is a guy where you know his looks don't change a lot in his films, um, and I really like Mark Wahlberg as a performer. I think one of the great performances of the modern era is his performance in The Departed. I mean, the guy just absolutely. That, what a what a what a great turn! I mean, and the fact that he came in and played a supporting role when he was starring in movies. You know, obviously, he has no problem when he knows who he's working with. He comes in and says, "Yeah, man, I want to be a part of this movie," you know, and he just crushed in something like that. How do you, with a relationship like that, how do you keep it fresh when you you have a long a long term relationship with an actor? Does it it does it is it about the actor himself or is it always about the character they're playing? I think in that case, you know, what I love about Mark, and we're still great friends, and, and he's, you know, family to me, and we stay in touch. And, I, you know, I think he's a personality. He's he, Look, he's a wonderful actor. He's very misunderstood. Uh, I know him. I don't know. Maybe it's it's pompous and presumptuous to say I know him probably, well, better than most people because we did 18 films together. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've known him since we were both very young. Uh, I, I, I love him. I think that he's became a sort of a personality, you know, this this kind of larger than life, which he wanted. And I loved working on certain films with him. And there were other films with him I didn't enjoy because I felt I was a bit wasted. I love to be working and doing interesting things. The Fighter was a great experience because I did everybody. Right. And Christian and Amy. And so I loved it. I loved it and the sisters and I and Mark loved that I loved it. He loved that I was busy. He was secondary to me in that film, even though he had lots of things going on makeup wise. And I'm proud of the film. But Mark was a great producer and I really respected that. And he worked on a few things with Jake, like this uh, Joe Bell, a recent thing that Jake produced. So I really loved that kind of relationship. And then Prisoners to some extent. Uh, but I think Mark is in films that, for me, as you said, his look doesn't change. Um, it, it became the same thing. It was more being friends and working with people you know and like. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, it, it's it's like contemporary clothes. It's a T-shirt. Um, right. And I think Mark is an extraordinary human being. What he's done and this empire he's built. But I think we went slightly different paths, and I'm, I'm older but, you know, we got together not that long ago, and it's really kind of nice that we're, we just talk like we've still always worked together. And it's actually been over 10 years that I, work, I haven't worked with him. Wow. And after all those films, and I left working with him. Yeah, it's over 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, I did reshoots for something, and he'd asked me to do Joe Bell, which I couldn't. We were doing Dune. And then, but I saw him, and we had lunch not that long ago, and it's funny because I left working with Mark to work with Daniel Craig. Right. Well, it's so, not know, like you've you, been a slouch. I mean, your 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 filmography, you've worked on these huge monster projects. And I love the fact that you get to be multidisciplinary, whether it's prosthetics and overseeing hair and makeup. I mean, obviously, someone just talking to you in the last hour and a half, I, I'm like, wow. I mean, I, anybody who is making a film would be lucky to have you working with them. So... Clearly, um, this is amazing. But, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, sir. This has been an incredible conversation, and I I can't thank you enough. I mean, I would would keep you here for hours. (laughs) You're very easy easy to to talk with and speak with and do this. And I I loved your questions, and I really appreciate you having me. And and I I can't stress it. I just very – it's very nice that – People do want to talk about films and ideas and movies and looks. And it's exciting to me still after all these years that we still enjoy and engage and and are excited about things like that. So I I think, you know, thank you for that. Oh, well, I I mean, that's, you know, I've been in love with film my whole life and film is an art form and film is a business and mostly watching movies. But I but I think it's it's something that in a way with all of the content that gets produced, everything is in one ear and out the other. And I don't ever want to lose the idea that filmmaking is the, is the culmination of the collaboration of so many different talented people from disparate disciplines that come together to create something that hopefully is timeless and it remains timeless. And, you know, that makeup artists pioneered the look of our, all the way back to the silent era you know, it was mm-hmm. makeup artists themselves were at the front lines of creating the people that we worship and that we dream about. And if it wasn't for 
sure. are talented makeup artists, man. Half the half the the images that Hollywood is associated with would not look the way they look. So you know, it's, it it's something. I, just to add to that, I just think there's a lot of films over the years. People sometimes when they don't see, you know, there's you know certain things you see are obvious. You get a brilliant costume design, especially the period pieces where people awe and and they're you know the splendor of gowns and dresses and incredible costumes people see and they the thing with the makeup is that the greatest makeup is thing is often something you don't see yeah and i think that that's the hidden it's a bit of a painful journey because sometimes you think but they have no idea what we did and that's kind of i feel you feel great and other times you feel like, well, it, it's nobody's no, nobody knows that, or they don't realize, or they see an actor before they come in and after, and then they kind of go, oh my God, I didn't realize they do all that to you. And that's the magic and mystique of it. But there is something that goes missing a little bit where we only see uh, larger than life. And I, I've sort of liked to look at films where I, I'll see something that's kind of incredible there was a makeup on Tilda Swinton. I think Kira Penchenko did on not a great film called Tra- um, Trainwreck or something. Hmm. But the makeup on Tilda Swinton was brilliant. It was a genius makeup, but no one could see it for what it was because it wasn't a big prosthetic makeup or elaborate. But if you look at Tilda Swinton, it'll take you a minute to recognize her and go, that's really good. And I, I think that that's the part of the, the craft I feel needs a little bit more things like this for people to see the work that's involved or say, check out Tilda Swinton and, and look at her in that film. It's extraordinary. And yet it's so simple what they did. Hmm. Well, Donald Moat, I cannot thank yeah. you enough for appearing on the Designing Hollywood podcast. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, for those of you who are looking for more of Donald's worth, you, work, you can see it upcoming in Dune. And obviously for me, and I'm sure a lot of all of you out there listening, the Moon Knight television series, uh, it's just phenomenal. And I just can't thank you enough for your time for today's thank podcast. You. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you for being so nice and generous. And everybody listening, thank you so much. And thank you to our sponsor, the United American Costume Company, established in 1977 by legendary costumer and costume designer Luster Bayless. Luster wanted to form a company independent from the studios that would provide quality wardrobe for affordable prices and never lose sight of the notion that we as costumers are filmmakers. Follow me, your host, Robert Meyer Burnett, on Twitter at BurnettRM, on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett, and on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. Thank you to all of our viewers for tuning in. Until next time.